Good morning, good afternoon, hello. This is Wrench Life with a Y. Because there's nothing as valuable as feeling good. Okay? This is episode two. In episode one, we kind of laid the foundation of it. In episode two, um, I'm going to establish who we are, who I am, in line with the infographic behind me. You know, the bottom of it is you. So we're all the foundation of everything. And in line with that, I think in order uh, in order for the message to get across, people need to understand where I'm coming from. And it's kind of fucked up that that's the way it is. I've had countless conversations or arguments with people. When you have the mindset I have about mental health, people often presume, not presume, they assume that I must not have experienced it. Very while, adamantly so, too. While I presume that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, so it's it's really frustrating. So I shouldn't have to prove that I've been through some shit, but I'm. That's what this podcast, this particular one's going to be about establishing. I actually forgot to pull up the document I, I typed, but what we're, I was just telling you before we started, we're going to start every podcast with uh, mindful moments in, in the practice of mindfulness, and we're going to start um, I, with uh, you know you're the beautiful fifth uh, symphony of Beethoven. And take a moment to reflect on something, a beautiful moment you had. And if you're not having beautiful moments, well, then you should maybe be a little more aware. That's just so beautiful. I, um... Hmm. It comes together right here. God. It's beautiful. Um, so my beautiful moment... Um, this is pretty personal. I don't really want to share it but i will share it because it's pretty pretty beautiful um the girlfriend and i exchanged the l word for the first time oh i know that's lovely <sighs> yeah it is something that's beautiful it's like poetry <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, yeah so that, that's i'm not going to go into the details of that moment because it's very intimate and normally i would never share that with anyone because what's you know whatever yeah uh <laughs> Blaze, do you, do you have a beautiful moment you'd like to share? Um, most of my Saturday morning was uh, a, a beautiful moment that came out of a really shitty one. Um, I woke up feeling pretty unhappy, and I just went to a bunch of places that I knew people and that made me happy, and I said hi to a bunch of people, and it made turn my whole day around. I went to the gym and paid my dues, said hi to Greg, and went to the bakery and said hi to the homies there, and... So you could say you you reflected on um, the support structure you have. Yeah, yeah. I knew that if I went to a couple places, I would feel a lot better. So I did. It's a great thing to reflect on. Yeah. Moving along, we're going to go into a moment, and uh, an, an anxiety moment, a chaotic moment. Mm-hmm. Those moments, um, which defined a massive period of my life, I rarely have them anymore. But we all know that, that feeling. 
you know, everything is spiraling, the weight of the world's on top of you, you can't think straight, it's just like, okay, yeah, it's, it's like this. Oh my god. That's, so I haven't, um, I haven't had a moment like that in a while, but last right, night, a good one. I was, uh, I was sweating this podcast a lot, like, I was, so I didn't really have a, it didn't come to a head, but I went out and rode in the snow last night, did like 10 miles or so, just like thinking about this podcast and telling my story, and like, I have to sit, I had to sit down and kind of write through it, you know, and get it across in a concise way and share a lot of details that I normally don't talk about my life aside from like very specific people I'll tell because, but I was super stressing uh, that I have to do this. Well, I don't have to, but I'm choosing to do it. So that it wasn't super chaotic, but there was definitely a lot of anxiety behind this for me. I bet that you're not a very, um, we're, we're almost opposites in that way, <laughs> right? I share almost everything hmm. pretty easily and you're much more conservative with the yeah, I just in, don't want feelings. Well, that's that's the, the 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 tough intersection here. This is I don't want people to judge me. Like I don't want. Uh, hold on, let me put phrases right. People will use hardships and their experience as uh, like uh, leverage or like social extra credit, you yeah. know. And I don't want someone to be like, oh, I want to support Dave's skate park because that guy's been through some stuff. It's yeah. like no, I want you to judge uh, the skate park for the merit. Of how I run my business, you know. <clears throat> so that's generally how I, oops, sorry, how I live the live my life. So doing this mm-hmm. this particular version of the podcast is very counter to you know one of my core ethics. So I, I was stressing it a lot. Makes sense. So what was your moment um, in accepting that that job that didn't end up panning out? I it was a job that uh, I kind of needed but didn't really want. I guess. It was just kind of like the situation I found myself in. I, uh, I had tried it out. I had been offered a position, and uh, you know, I I basically had a two day panic attack about it until I finally mm. texted the guy like, "Yeah, I'll come in and work," just so we could put this all behind me and just start working. And uh, yeah, like hair pulling, laying on my floor in in <laughs> anxiety, like I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Mm. Just wanted to mm-hmm. end all the different scenarios i can get through yeah i got a lot of those moments there uh that's <laughs> that's something i'm working on <laughs> in my darkest days i used to have crazy social anxiety panic attacks hmm. uh and people are, I, I have social anxiety and it's like okay every well everyone has social anxiety because we're social creatures and the way we interact and there's all these hierarchies of, of status it's like there's there needs to be anxiety and pressure there because it, it it establishes where you exist in this world, right? But sometimes it goes a little bit haywire. And I don't know if this is in line with that or if this was a separate thing, but so I would go out and this is like something that would trigger it. Basically, a lot of it was about people being fake. And I'm sure that's a, you know, a distillation of a, of a, of a bigger problem I was having psychologically. So I would go to like, we'd go to like um, those bug jar Thursday night party things, right? Mm-hmm. And there'd be a girl, and she's doing the shit the girls do. And, you know, she's, you know, got a denim vest on, you know, the motorhead patch on the back or something. Yeah. And, and I'm sure part of it, it affected me a lot because, you know, a lot of those girls had similar style to my ex, and that, like, really fucked me up. Mm. And then 
it's like a dance party. So the girl is, is projecting this uh, image like she's like, oh, the denim and like patches and like, you know, motorheads freaking sweet. And then she goes in the dance floor and she's dancing, singing every word to these pop songs. And I'm just like, who are up. you? Who yeah. are you? Like you can. And I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying I saw, you're projecting one image and then your actions are projecting another image. And I'm like, so, you, it, so you're in, in my you know anxiety of that day. I was like, so you're fake. Yeah. And everyone's fake. And I can't trust you. And I can't trust anyone. And then, like, the whole room starts spiraling. I was like, everyone at this bar is just here for personal gain. They don't give a fuck about anything but themselves. Everyone's a liar. And I would, like, I made it a thing to not leave. Although there was plenty of times I did just go home. Yeah. And I would, like, sit down and I'd open my phone and I would um, type out in an online journal. Just, like, like the angry, like, fuck everyone. Fuck the world. Wow. Everyone's fucking fake. And... Eventually, you know, they happened less and less frequently, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people are shitty and fake. Yeah, but what yeah. a what a crazy defense mechanism your your brain built up for that. Oh, dude, because I was lost. I was homesick. I had no real connections. I was trying to find connections. I felt betrayed because you know my yeah. own issues I made, and the, and the whole fucking world sucked. And I was just like, everyone sucks. Everyone's fake. You know, I was I was damaged goods. <laughs> All right, moving on to the third mindful moment. <laughs> Uh, this would be a moment of uh, anger, hate. Uh, you, those moments where uh, you get blinded and you can't. You know, a lot, some people even black out. I have a very, very long temper, so I don't. I don't really have them. But some people, you know, it, to them, it's just like. Pack your oh, it's so good. I um, I feel like my anger is like um. If it was like a, a like a audio file, you know, I'm not like uh, up down. Yeah, I'm like constantly like halfway up in a controlled <laughs> like. It's like uh, some people's anger is explosive. Mine is like a steady burning fire that I've managed to put behind me. So I don't really get those crazy angry moments aside from like filming bike tricks. But yeah, you got. Do you have one for me? No, I mean I definitely. There's a lot of anger in there somewhere, but I, I really think the last time I got like. Yeah. Whew. I don't know. The one that comes to mind is like, um, like just dumb stuff with uh, my dishwasher at Good Luck, where like I I went to turn down his music, and um, and he started throwing things. <laughs> I went and tur- you know because he's blasting terrible trap rap so loud I can't hear myself think, and it's a loud environment anyway. Mm-hmm. So I you know I, mm-hmm. I'm like Henry, you're gonna turn the music down. What the fuck? Why are you doing that for? He starts throwing pans right. It's a 55 year old man that's been to prison. Don't be rude. Yeah, and he's being rude. (laughs) And um, I just remember being so angry, I almost walked out. I was just like, I'm not gonna. I I work too hard to get yelled at by someone when I'm just, you know, not that I'm better than anyone. That's not what I'm saying. It's like it worked too hard for me to be like, hey man, just turn your music down and getting yelled at. It's just not. That's not okay. Yeah. That made me angry. <laughs> the angry moments, I don't have them a lot, but that's kind of in light of eventually getting um, Gary, my brother, involved. Like, he's he's a hothead. Like, yeah. Like, Gary, I know you're going to listen to this, and I want to tell you, I'm still fucking mad. From when we were, <coughs> when we were kids, you'd lose your temper every time we played mini golf until Dad was like, we're not playing mini golf anymore. And I fucking love playing mini golf, dude. <laughs> you ruined that for me. <laughs> So I'm not a temp- high temperament person, 
uh, I don't have a short temper. My mom and my brothers both do. So I, I, I can really relate to that because I've seen it unfold a lot. Mm-hmm. So enough, you see it enough times, usually you kind of come to understand it to some degree. Same. I mean, but you know I my dad. Black. I don't. Oh yeah, <laughs> my dad's got some, oh my God, got some anger. Yeah. Your dad definitely does the like the blackout kind of anger. He probably doesn't yeah. recall what he says when he gets mad. Yeah, he just it just it's always been a thing. You know, we've always. Yeah. I think he's got a much better handle on it now. I think the skate park was a pretty stressful thing. Oh yeah. So. Sometimes you know you just gotta gotta take a little time. And you take a deep breath, and and the world is still spinning. And you gotta take those beautiful moments and balance them against the angry ones, and and keep moving forward. So on to the topic of the day. What are we in? Ten minutes in? Making great time. This is going to be tough. Um, <laughs> so I think this will probably be mostly a lot of me talking, but cool. I want to open up by telling you, any questions, You know, feel free to shoot them at me. I kind of wrote this down in a concise way, and I'm gonna, so I don't want this to be like an hour of me telling you this shit. <laughs> but I broke it down. Before I give you a timeline, a rough timeline, uh, I broke it down into three key factors about like my being, my personality, three key factors about my story, and then uh, three key events of that story. And these things mm-hmm. are all going to kind of overlap. But so this is an interesting one. My like being, like my, I don't want to say personality. I feel like it transcends personality. I've had a uh, a deep sense of purpose since I was young. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, in hindsight, I had a lot of like day arc, like the archetypical hero, like daydreams. Like, and I was in grade school that I had this one in my head all the time, where like the gym, we're in gym class, and mm-hmm. the gym floor would like open up into like a pit of like lava or mm-hmm. some shit, and it was like I would single handedly like save everyone. Like you know the the ro- old school gym had the rope you climbed up. Yeah. I don't think I do it anymore because it's not safe for some reason, pussies. Um, and, uh, I would like save each person one by one and it was like, you know, that was really, that's like grade school, you know? Mm -hmm. And as I got a little bit older and I was in high school, I realized that I was different than other people in the way I could read social situations. Like I saw the way even my teachers were judging other people. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was like, there's something different about me. Like, and it might be, it might be as simple as uh, like emotional intelligence or, or social intelligence, something like that. But that, that, that deep sense of a, of a purpose and like how I saw things was something that like really uh, affected me. And I was like, it's something that shouldn't be wasted. I was like, I feel different. I have a purpose and I need to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I, and I, gotta... I was misguided. In, well, yeah maybe a little bit willfully blind and misguided but yeah yeah i had a similar thing where my mom would always call it being able to see around the corner like Mm. you have a good understanding of how people act and why why they're doing the things they're doing and what's gonna come of what's gonna of what's happening you know Mm. it could be a matter of empathy too like just knowing that i don't know it's that's why i'm saying it's like this deeper bigger thing right Mm -hmm. um the second key factor of my being uh would be my father my father was the freaking man. It, everyone thinks their parents are like geniuses and like they're the archetype of adulthood. And then you get older and you realize that your your parents 
kind of suck and you kind of suck. You know, it's like we're just humans and they were just trying as good as, as they could they could do. Mm -hmm. My dad was ridiculous. He was like super smart and intelligent and uh, pretty creative and, and empathetic. And like he did everything. If it broke, he fixed it. Like I grew up in a household. Well, for the f first half of my childhood where if something broke, dad fixed it. His car broke. He was in the driveway fixing it like always. So I was like, that instilled in me the fact that well, when there's a problem, you don't outsource it. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can. I can't recall a single thing my dad outsourced to fix ever, ever. Wow. So that's a huge piece. Um, and then the other thing that really defined my my existence is I had a, as a long term struggle with like my identity mm -hmm. and like who I am in relation to these things in the, in relation to the way I feel, and that you know, and that is. Was pretty much ongoing until fairly recently, and I'm sure it is still ongoing. Now, the key factors about my story is I have what I call a trichotomy of family life. Um, basically, the first third was very wholesome family life, uh, borderline agrarian. The second third was uh, finding some freedoms because my mom kind of was starting to check out. Mm -hmm. And then the third life was a, the third part of it was like absolute deterioration. So that gave me perspective of multiple sides of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could see the things that I valued and whether they're right or wrong or whatever. Uh, the second piece of the story is my relationship to progression oriented sports, BMX. That uh, freedom it gives you, the, the, the way you learn things incrementally, mm -hmm. like that framework is really the basis of the progression base idea of wrench life. And the third thing was, uh, you know, I had a, a, you know, an ever, a nonstop quest for knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like I, and that I said, there's overlapping to that sense of purpose and, and the way my dad was. So the key actually events would be the deterioration of my family. And I would call that event in a global thing. Like when they'll say like, you know, there was a cooling period. It was, it was a global event. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a singular event, right? Um, my move to Rochester and uh, the collapse of the only positive relationship I had in my life when I was younger, which is, was the girlfriend. Hmm. Um, okay, let's get a drink here. So I'm going to try to give you this rundown. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah. And this is important to say because at, aside from all the bullshit I've been through, mm -hmm. the internal struggles w were way worse. And, th and that's really important because people are like, oh, it's my life. It's this thing that happened. It's my dad or whatever. All the shit I'm going to tell you that happened in my life, like it certainly had an effect on me. But the biggest struggle was completely of my own, be own doing mm -hmm. in my head. So basically, I grew up um, in a farmhouse. We didn't farm. It was just a farmhouse. Quarter mile driveway, you know, big fields around us. There's like 170 something acres. Like, wow. grew up just playing in the woods with my brothers. Sweet. Not a, Yeah, it was d fucking dope. Riding bikes <laughs> and shit. There's all these abandoned um, buildings in the woods. There was an old like apple orchard or something. Is that where you found the cannonball? No, that was later. No. Um... So it was like borderline agrarian. It was very traditional. Like what is agrarian? 
that's like the whole the lifestyle of like um you know early 1900s like f- farming ah, you know okay. just very traditional like early american life kind of stuff like lots of siblings everyone lives at home stay in the town yeah. you grow everything you know yeah so some of the key factors there is like we had dinner together every night period always we sat down at dinner time we ate dinner together uh being i had two brothers you know money was always tight you, we didn't get seconds at dinner unless you finished your first, so it means you didn't get more of the, you know, whatever the potatoes you liked if you didn't eat all the vegetables, and there was no seconds for, like, the protein or whatever, because... It's expensive. Yeah, you, you know, my dad, my mom, I stayed at home mom, my dad was a postal worker, so <clears throat> raising a family, five, not super easy. We had no cable TV, we had no internet, we didn't have soda, never had takeout, never had fast food, like, we didn't have any neighbors... Well, one neighbor, but they didn't have any kids our age. Like, really, like, when I went to, like, a birthday party for someone from school, and it was, like, pizza and soda, I was like, frick, yeah, dude, it was the (laughs) dopest thing. Like, we never did, and, like, we never went, and I'm not complaining about it. We just never did anything like that. We didn't go to, like, a Chuck E. Cheese or some shit. Like, we went on camping trips. We did, my my dad did wholesome and economic vacations. We camping twice a year, basically. Mm -hmm. So... That really gave me the understanding of the foundation on why, like, the sit-down meal is so important and why family values are so important. When I read these statistics from, like, like Thomas Sowell of his, you know, the breakdown of the American family, I totally get it because I, like, we would do, um, you get milk and cookies after dinner or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. two cookies if you're good, one if you're bad, none if you, get, if you were shitty. And the thing, the thing was... You couldn't leave the table unless you were excused, kind of be excused, you know, yeah. and no. Yeah. You know, you were an asshole today. You sit So here. you sit there and you watch everyone else enjoy your cookies. Like, those are in crazy important life lessons. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even put a value on that. So then my mom leaves my dad. Um, she, uh, I don't know. I don't really know what, what she was thinking. My dad would have stayed together, stayed together with the kids forever, I'm pretty sure. Uh, a lot of the perspectives I'm going into here are going to be in hindsight. At the time, I was just a kid, mm-hmm. and I was super distracted because all of a sudden we moved out, and then here it comes, baby. Cable TV, Ooh. Nintendo 64, pizza, Pop-Tarts, Hot Pockets. Oh, God. Dude, I was... So that was um, like I, seventh grade, I think. Oh, yeah. That's and, when you eat a lot of Hot Pockets. That's the age. And then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> dude, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was just like, this is dope, yeah. you know? Eventually in there, we had access to a computer. We didn't exactly have internet, but we'd access to one occasionally. Like, I was like, this is freaking awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all fine. And Danny, we lived in this two-family house, uh, not a divided. It was just a big, old, old, shitty, like 200-year-old dilapidated house. Hmm. So there was like probably like nine people living there. Not super ideal. The family we lived with, the matriarch, was pretty neurotic, and that led to a certain amount of like stress and shit going on. How was that noise? I kicked my uh, oh. coffee cup from last week. <laughs> um, let's see. What is that? Lost. Oh yeah. Yeah, the conditions weren't super great. Um people we were living with weren't super great uh in hindsight there's probably a lot of uh, substance around there mm-hmm. 
I guess any use of it you could say is abuse, but I w- it was a lot of people that were using substances regularly, mm. but nothing like nothing crazy, like, yeah, just sustainable, I guess. <laughs> um, like the if bathroom, you know, there was one bathroom in addition on the back half of the house that we used, and then the other only shower was upstairs in the master bedroom for the other mm. family. Eventually, like the uh, the bathroom floor like <laughs> collapsed. Oh. Uh, like the tub fell into the floor like it was oh. slowly collapsing so like where like there would be caulk there was like a three inch gap into oh. like the abyss and over time it got worse and worse and and then the toilet started to fall through the floor uh and then we basically just like locked closed the door and locked it and pretended that room never existed then it was like nine people sharing one bathroom oh that's all good well there was a second only toilet bathroom downstairs okay. so and it was like an addition, so it was like the ceiling was like this tall, like nose height. So like I would shower, I'd be like hunched over, so I was kind of tall. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you know, Do you, you don't take a bath in that tub; it'll fall. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, again, like I didn't know, like I yeah, was you're like, just like this is this is a, it's like that uh that meme of the the little dog everything on fire. fire. Yeah, this is fine. It's fine. You're yeah, like, like the, cool. We just don't use that one anymore. I get it. Yeah, there was like a second living room, and it was just like piled up with boxes and just like crap. And there was like a, <clears throat> it was just like a, a disaster. Like in high, if I walked in there as an adult, I was like, oh man, these are rough conditions. But as yeah. a kid, I was like, my mom was just getting pizza every night or whatever from the yeah. pizza place next door because she was kind of like checked out. She was doing her thing, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, then my mom bought a house. Uh, so then we moved. Out of that situation with that other family, into my mom bought his own house. It's a pretty decent house. You know, everything's expensive in Jersey, but we had this house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was right about this time we moved across the same town, but other side of the town. The first move we moved like a block. This time we were on the other side of the same town. It was in, uh, I would say, definitely the poorest neighborhood in the town. It was a mo- all modular homes, you know, two trailers glued together. Okay, a lot, of, you know, low income, I guess. It was around this time, uh, well, let me just establish this. So my mom's boyfriend moved in with us. He had already lived with us at the other house, but now he's in this new house. My grandfather moved in with us. Uh, my older brother, Nick, wasn't actually supposed to live with us. My mom was like, you know, you could crash on the couch as long as you need, but, you know, we're putting one, two, three, four, five, six people in a three-bedroom house. Yeah. <clears throat> Not ideal. He wasn't ever going to leave. And he didn't ever leave. Uh, yeah, so Gary and I, we shared a room. And, um, yeah, that was okay. Like, still, like, now we had full access to internet. So now I'm just like, fuck yeah, I got internet. Get my aim away message up, dude. But then my brothers and I would fight about the internet. So pretty typical. Nothing's too rough. Uh, then my mom's boyfriend gets sick. He he is diabetic. He didn't really take good care of himself, so I'm sure that left a lasting impression in me. And he had a couple, uh, I think, his liver or you know, kidney failure, and he was on dialysis, mm. and some other shit happened. And and long story short, um, he died in the hospital. Wow. Uh, I think the hospital kind of botched it, mm. and then botched it, and then by the time they transferred him to another hospital, they were like the other hospital was like, "What did they do to this guy?" And he yeah. died. Wow. Yeah. And then some shit happened with his family and my mom. They were never, they never, Rob and my mom were never married, mm. but they were together for a couple of years. And so it's the, a weird gray area of. Yeah, and the family, uh, I guess they just kind of like dipped out on my mom. They were, they were uh, Jewish, so they sat Shiva. And I guess the family kind of conspired to, uh, 
just like all stopped talking to my mom in the same day. Wow. Uh, and like I said, my mom's kind of, mom's she's something. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't going up and hanging up with them with them when they were doing that thing. So I don't know what she was doing, what she's saying. All mm-hmm. I heard on her side was that you know, my mom was in love with this guy. He died traumatically. Uh, in the like months he was in the hospital, she, her drinking was just like at, get it was when that's when her drinking problem essentially really went out of hand. Mm-hmm. And then things started to get rough. Yeah, I think it's about a year or so later. My grandfather uh, he died as well. My older brother was kind of all into he had always been kind of not so great and into drugs, selling mm-hmm. drugs, doing this, getting sketchy shit. And you are how old at this point? You and you. you so and this Nick is about. Gary? So we moved into the house right before I think I was a freshman. Okay. So that would be like 2000. So you're right. Almost. You, you and your brothers are nearly young adults, teenagers. Yeah, somewhere in there. So then it was around this time uh, after I moved that I had met the uh, the long-term girlfriend. And in going to preface this real hard. She's a great person. Nothing against her at all. This is all of my own doing. So I met her around there. It's worth noting because she came into my life as things were deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And that's a real big key piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So, like, things are getting kind of toxic at home. You know, there's a good amount of drugs around, alcohol around. I, um, like, I didn't really know. I I didn't realize. Like, it was like I knew it was happening, but I kind of just, like, looked the other way. And I was like, oh, whatever. You know, I'm in high school and when you're like six, 15, 16, you're just kind of checked out and you want to hang out with your friends and, yeah. you know, so riding was a way to get out of the house, the girlfriend, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. So then like, you know, 2006, 2008, the tail end of high school, you know, I was pretty hardcore straight edge. You know, I saw my mom's deterioration uh, with alcohol and other things eventually. And I saw my older brother, you know, his his drug use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm realizing now I forgot a huge piece back in there uh, of the story, but whatever. What? So, one of the key events that happened that I forgot to put in when I first started was saying is that around this time, as things were deteriorating, my younger brother, Gary, was trying to kind of tag along. Uh, he... I believe you know he looked up to me because I was his older brother, and in comparison to our our older brother, mm-hmm. like the, the choice is pretty obvious. Who who, yeah. who who's you know. got their who's got them yeah, yeah. together? And uh, role model. I was just hardcore. Like I'm an individual and I'm unique and I'm you know I was just trying to I was rejecting everything. So you know I had blue hair or like a mohawk and it's like just you know all that shit. Mm-hmm. So when like Gary got a mohawk too, I was just like. Are you copying you, like, me? Get your own thing, yeah. you know. And then it's he the... got um, he got a BMX bike. He got a Mosh. Nice. It had a cassette wheel on it, and I was like, "Fuck, I don't even have a cassette wheel." <laughs> and uh, and he, he wanted to come ride with us, and I was like, "Nah, like don't ride with us. Like, uh-huh. get your own thing, you know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that is like the biggest mistake of my life, you know. And I can't take that back. And I think that has a huge impact on why I do what I do with the kids every day. It's because like. Even if Gary, you know, Gary's, he's back, he's killing it, he's doing mm-hmm. super well, I'm so proud of him. But even even then, like, that whole period where he went, you know, I, I could have done something about it, right? Yeah, but that's all hindsight. It's not like you well, can yeah. put all that weight on a 15-year-old, you know? Well, it like, took and, me and, years to figure yeah. that out, you know? But it's something you can't unthink now. 
<laughs> for yeah. sure. So then I was like hardcore straight edge and I was getting pretty angry at the world. All I wanted to do was ride. Um, I've been dating the girl for a couple of years. Uh, you know, she, you know, she was, so we're going a little bit later here. So this is post high school. Cause we had like a two year gap between us. So she's, her friends started getting into partying a little bit. That's fine. That's what people do. And I was like hardcore straight edge. So I was just like, no, this is bad. And then, you know, and then, you know, so she would like go out and get drunk and lie to me and turn off her phone or something like that. And mm-hmm. I don't blame her. I was being crazy. I was like, <laughs> my life was spiraling out of control. Well, it felt like my life was spiraling out of control. So I was trying to like control her in, in, in an attempt to not to feel like I had some control. Mm-hmm. And then that just made it worse, you know, obviously. And then we, we ended up breaking up for a period of time because of that. Um, right. Or let's see. Yeah, my mom really deteriorated. Uh, she was like doing ambient sleep and I think she was on pain medicine for something else. And I know she was getting radiology stuff in the mail. So I'm not really sure what was up with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and you're taking, I think she was on Xanax too for anxiety. So she's taking a concoction of stuff. That's a whole Drinking a whole lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, Wash it down with the liquor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to give Mix you, it all up. Yeah, to give you some, like how fucked up she was. And, you know, like, fine god i hope she never listens to this if i do i'm sorry mom but it's truth you're a little neurotic um i would have parties at the house you know like parties at the house uh and we would have a bunch of people over music playing you know whatever it was playing beer ball or whatever just Mm -hmm. like this is this is a little out of chronological order this is a little bit later because i i didn't start drinking until um i was 22 so okay. I'm still like in like the 20 period here, but to, to, to point at, at her, um, at the worst point, we'd have legit parties at the house yeah. and, and she would, she would be there sleeping. No, she would come no out of idea. the bedroom, yep. uh, in like an ambient zombie face and mm-hmm. make a sandwich. Uh, it was like a piece of American cheese on white bread mm-hmm. and she would, whether there was 20 people in the living room raging, no one in the, in the living room at all. She would just make the sandwich, sit there at the counter, eat the sandwich, and then go back to her room. Like, completely just in, like... like zonked out. And then we didn't know how fucked up Ambien is. Now, like, we know, like, there's Ambien stories all over the place. Like, that, shit's, that shit fucks you up. Yeah. People, like, wake up driving their car somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, another key thing that happened is my older brother, um, who died last year, <laughs> he, um, he was in this, this terrible car accident, right? Mm-hmm. He went up... This is all at the same time. This is this is yeah. I just post I just, post high school. Yeah, this okay. is just post high school. Okay. Gary was still in high school. Okay. Nick went up to the hood to pick up his dope or whatever, and I think they got arrested or something. In the morning, they were coming home. I guess they got out in the morning. I'm not sure of all those details, but they basically like drove across the median in the highway, drove head onto a car. Like, oh wow! My brother was a passenger. He got ejected from the car. Like, helicoptered out, resuscitated in a coma like they didn't think he was gonna make it mm-hmm. i think they even told my mom after he woke up that they're like dude we didn't think that like this was yeah. gonna happen i think they told her if, if he did wake up he there he was certainly gonna be like you know like a vegetable yeah. or whatever but my mom said uh famously she said uh he's too mean to die <laughs> wow and um <laughs> and he didn't die he came out of the coma 
you know, he ended up being handicapped, but he was in hospital for months. He was in a brain rehab center for months. In the time that he was gone, what happened, I guess my interpretation of it is uh, all these, you know, addicts were coming to the house looking to buy stuff. Because mm-hmm. essentially I was living in a trap house. Mm-hmm. Unknowingly. Or yeah. Knowingly, unknowingly. I didn't give a fuck. I'd just go out and ride. I'd go, I'd go to work. I'd go out and ride. I'd come home. I slept in the top bunk bed in this tiny bedroom, and that was it. Uh, pretty much anything I ever had that was like had any value was stolen from me. So I kept everything either in my truck or in my bed, and I kept my bike in the living room. It would come everywhere with me otherwise, and everyone knew, like, if you touched my bike, I'd fucking kill you. Yeah. That was, like, the one... Yeah, no, just don't, don't take that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, uh, all these addicts come into the house, and I guess my brother decides, and what's you could argue is a smart economic move, well, why don't I offer the product that these people are coming here and asking for? Yeah. It's like, I know how to do all this stuff. Why not yeah. just do it? And then you can't be around that stuff. It's only a matter of time before, you know, you get tied up in it. Yeah. So then... Yeah, you know, that's yep. basically what happened. And by this time, I was pretty checked out, so I'm not really sure a, a lot was going on. Like I said, like I'd come home straight to my bed, yep. straight to go out. Uh, eventually, the hot water stopped working. We, I think I was living at the house, um, I think, for about a year without the hot water. And I was like, finally, like, all right, I think I'm going to leave. I tried to buy a hot water heater for my mom. And she's like, why the fuck are you going to do that? I was like, I don't know. Like, you bought this house. Yeah. So, like, we should take care of it. And she's like, oh, I haven't paid the mortgage in, like, two years. And I was like, oh. Oh, that's good. Okay. So, I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to try to move out. I moved out. Um, then my, so my younger brother, he ends up getting caught up in some bad shit. He goes, ends up in, in a jail, county jail or whatever. My older brother in the rehab center, he gets his he gets a settlement for his accident because mm-hmm. he was a passenger or whatever. He got, I don't know, like after the lawyer got like a third or whatever it was, he got like $3 million or something like that. That's so crazy. Yeah. So now Nick comes out of the rehab center. Gary's uh, in jail. I believe they kind of like screwed, up, screwed with Gary a little bit. He was in county for like months and months and months. Like they wouldn't indict him. It was like really hmm. weird. So I've, sometimes you can get lost in the system there. Like if you're in a holding cell and they just like pass over your paperwork, you're just like stuck. Go on. So sorry. then, and in the time I had left, the, the, the furnace actually broke too. So then there was no heat. There was no hot water. Wow. The house has been for, at this point, probably four years. I hadn't been paid the mortgage, something like that. And Nick's like, you know, you take a chunk of his money, it goes into a trust fund, uh, another chunk of money into another trust fund, and then he gets like a lump sum, you know, for him to, you know, buy a house and, and kind of get back into the world, obviously, because he's kind of handicapped, he needs a walker, there are certain things he needs, expenses he has because of that. Mm-hmm. So he gets out, and we're like, oh, cool, like, anyone that has any logic is like, all right, cool, well, Nick is probably going to get a lawyer for Gary. Mm-hmm. He'll get indicted. We'll, we'll figure that situation mm-hmm. out. Mom will be out of this shitty house. And, like, we'll see. But as my mom said, he's too mean. In hindsight, uh, Nick absolutely was a sociopath. Mm-hmm. He gets his settlement. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't doesn't do anything. Does, he, he's going to see Gary at the county jail every week, but not doing anything, doing about, anything it. about it. Just yeah. saying hi. Yeah. How's the... And then he buys his house and doesn't tell, like, 
like my mom, I think she was preparing to move out. And then the day he's like, goes to move, he's just like, no, you're not coming with me. Jesus. Like, and he, cause he's just like a sociopath. He's bitter and fucking resentful and like mad at the world and just everything, you know, for someone like, uh, like Nick, nothing is his fault. Nothing is his fault. My mom Can't was kind of similar like that. You know, I, I see with Gary, when Gary's stressed out and when Gary was in rough shape, he gets into that mind state where, like, it's not it's everyone else's fault. Mm-hmm. And now that Gary's crushing it, he's, he's like, well, he's looking at himself honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Nick gets the settlement, just says, like, fuck you, everyone. Yep. And now he's living in this nice house by himself. Um, and I guess just went right back to doing drugs and everything. And uh, he overdosed on heroin uh, last April. So money doesn't buy you happiness, for real. Like, yeah, he had a lot of money, and and all he wanted to do with his money was uh, heroin, I guess. So I I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a constant mess. And the opportunity to Rochester to move to Rochester came, and I took it. I moved to Rochester. Oh man, with minutes here, forty minutes. All right. Um, I had I was still with the same girlfriend. We had on and off. You know, there was one point in time some shit happened. Like my one of my best friends and her like hooked up or some shit. So we didn't talk for a little while. But for the most part, go you know, for like I don't know seven years or something. Yeah. And uh, she kind of wanted to move. Like a lot of girls, like, I want to go on an adventure. Yeah. I want to move with you. you know. And uh, I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's go. And a lot of people in that situation don't think about the, the logistics of that. Like, I yeah, had a yeah. girlfriend that would be like, oh, I'll move to Chicago with you, and you want to do that? And I'm like, you realize that, up, like, it was a problem that how much I was working. Mm-hmm. Like, you realize how much I work now, it'll be more. We're going to live in the same place, and you won't know anybody there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's a bad idea. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. think about all those things. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so <laughs> with all that shit storm of, of, of a family life going on, I was just trying to distract myself from everything that was happening and getting away seemed like a good idea. Because mm-hmm. obviously I said, like, I had this thing in my head, like, I got to do I gotta do all these things, you know. I was like, I'm going to move out of here and I'm going to try to figure out, you know, who I am and what I'm going to do with my life or whatever. And uh, so what what happened was the girl, she she bailed. It went from, like, I'll move to I'm not going to move to if I find a job, I'll move, you know. And she didn't come. Um, and then uh, this is a good one. I uh, moved here in May. I think it was six years ago now. Wow. Uh, by, like, November, it was pretty obvious um, the relationship was deteriorated to the point where, you know, all that would save it was a Hail Mary, so I went. I was going to go for it. So I did that genius thing. I was like, I got her a fucking ring. I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got it on a Black Friday special. I like that was broke as shit, you know. But I got it in this Black Friday special. It was uh, white gold and black diamonds. Pretty cool. Sick. And uh, I don't know what the fuck happened. I got it from like, uh, I went to the mall. Like, like they had it like, uh, you know. And uh, they're like, oh, we'll ship it to you or whatever. Because the Black Friday thing is in a warehouse. You know, we don't keep, you know. Yeah. And then I never fucking got it in time. I went home for, for New Year's. And I didn't actually get the ring in time, which is annoying. But I was just like, oh, whatever. Like, it's more symbolic than anything, right? Yeah. 
And so I put it off. I was home for like three days or something. And I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off until the last night I was in town. And uh, she was dropping me off at my friend's house where I was crashing. And I was just like, hey, I wanted to do it. I wanted to talk. And she's like, oh, I want to talk too. And I was like, you go first. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then so she broke up with me. Whoa. And she's like, what did you want to say? And I was like, oh, nothing. 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 It wasn't a big deal. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, Feel I fine. Feel great. I told her. And, uh, and I'll never, never fucking forget it. She was like, you, you got me a breakup ring? And I was like, it's not what I fucking thought, you know? <laughs> like, uh, I, her mind was made up, rightfully so. Uh, <laughs> it's so fucking... So then, it, it gets better. <laughs> Driving home, there was a snowstorm coming through. So I got, up, I got up really early to try to beat the storm. Mm-hmm. Made it to Binghamton, no problem. Then I hit the snowstorm. I tried to go along the southern tier and then up, rather than up to Syracuse. And I got caught. I got caught in the blizzard. Mm-hmm. It took me like 12 hours to get home. I remember that. And like the first three hours were normal. So the last three hours took me like nine hours. Yeah. Six hours. Or maybe I'm exaggerating, but I was like. Whatever. Fucking that many hours in a snowstorm is feels well, like th- way I more I thought hours. I was going to fucking die. I was driving yeah. slow as shit. Like, all right. So my back's against the wall. I have no money. Like, nothing going on. Like. Just trying to get back to Rochester. I like if I were to lose control of the car off the side of the road, like there's no safety net. Like I'm gonna call someone. Yeah. But and then I don't have money to pay for someone to pull me out of the snow or something. So I'm driving like twenty miles an hour, trying not to have a fucking panic attack. And I basically would drive for half an hour, pull off the road and like chill for like fifteen minutes and recoup and then do it again and do it again. And uh I had like probably like five cups of coffee stopping and getting coffee trying to keep you know <laughs> i get back to rochester uh and the furnace broke while i was gone my apartment's like 34 degrees or something i remember that winter too where you were like just like opening the, the oven like having that open then you working at the skate park and the heater there was broken <laughs> i forgot about that so then like, yeah i'm yeah, back at rochester and um I'm just like curled up on the couch with every blanket I had, just being like, alrighty. I was already super homesick. I was already like trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And there I am. I actually got a really piece. I want to pause this real quick. All right. right, We just stopped for a pee break. That was a really good break because I I had to (sighs) recoup here. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mention the fact the bike shop burned down. I knocked my fucking front teeth out. Like, there's, 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 yeah, there's a lot. There's so there. much shit in there. All right, so here's the thing. So just, just the highlights. Yeah, the highlights. <laughs> um, I'll just say like from that, I was already pretty depressed, uh, and then that just made it so much worse, and it. It continued to get worse because I lost the job at the skate park, and, you know, and my dad died two years ago. But the pause there is good because that really, the whole point, like I said in the beginning, where it's like, I would tell you all the shit I went through, and I'm going to tell you how that, those are not the reasons why I was unhappy. Mm. Like, they played a role, obviously, a big role, but not they were not at all the main role so the 
the big one was the, the the deterioration of that relationship I had. Everything else sucked. I put too much. The my entire fa- my psyche mm-hmm. was built on a foundation that was that relationship. Like it wasn't her fault at all. It wasn't her at all. It was me. I was like, oh, everything sucks. I got this girl, so it's fine. Yeah. So when that fell out, when that support fell out, there was literally nothing to catch me. Nothing at all. And it took, it absolutely devastated me. Like, <laughs> it was bad. Um, and that made it all, That you know, that was... That was tough, you know, and I had a lot of embarrassing days like calling her and saying shit that I definitely shouldn't have said and just being like, oh, God, so, so many, so <laughs> many things. Yeah. So many things. And uh, I was just soaking in sad music and just getting drunk all the time. Like I probably spent two years just getting blacked out every night and crying on the living room floor, just putting on sad music really loud and laying in front of the speakers and like how many times I um my car key my keys well I didn't I never really drove drunk because I rode my bike but like I couldn't find my keys in the morning they're like in the in the door on the outside still like yeah. not remembering how I rode my bike home from the bar just like super just full speed penny board yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's funny like I kept my shit together and I was functional and everything and most people didn't know that I, uh, I was uh you know I don't even want to use the word suffering, but yeah, I was definitely suffering. I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't yeah. going out to the bars often with you at that point, but... Well, you weren't 21 yet. Yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, that was like... All that other shit, all that ridiculous shit that like... Could very possibly... Any one of those things could devastate a person. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I made it through all of those. And uh, mostly because I was leaning on that relationship and the relationship failed. But there's still another piece to this puzzle. Uh, and this this is kind of why I was freaking out about doing this. And this is going to be really fucking hard. <sighs> so shitty. But um, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Uh, whatever. I basically uh, had struggled my entire life with what... <laughs> would uh, be diagnosed as gender dysphoria. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, underneath all of that shit has always been that struggle, mm-hmm. which is obviously not an easy struggle. And part of this podcast is, like, to point out that all of the shit in the story doesn't mean anything compared to the internal dialogue that's happening. Mm-hmm. Which no one else can know. Yeah, give me know. a second here. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot smoother than every other time I've told someone else, so. Mostly because I'm pretty content with myself. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, there's a narrative people subscribe to when it comes to, like, anxiety and depression and these sort of psychological, like, battles mm-hmm. that I don't agree with. And I, I need to be the voice of reason for, I want to be the voice of reason. Like, I want to be... I want, there's going to be people laying on their floor crying. I want them to hear, you know, your voice and my voice being like, no, like, hold on. You gotta take a little time. <laughs> you gotta take a little time and like, 
reflect on those things and, and analyze yourself honestly. When you just subscribe to some sort of uh, thing like, just do it this way and that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Never going to work. Ever. Yeah. You have to look at yourself honestly from every angle possible and, and figure out what works for you. So I basically, I'm, I move, so when I move, that was always underlying for my whole life. It was always there. Mm-hmm. Part of moving here was like, well, I need to get away from all these outside pressures so I could have my own apartment, my own place to kind of like figure out my shit, figure out where it stands, figure out where I stand, mm-hmm. figure out what my long-term goals are. And then the girlfriend, you know, that crushes me out. Yeah, Then I'm just the, fucking this, devastated. Yeah, like, you're this I literally of... was living up here with no... I had virtually no, like, friends. I had I had no idea who I was. Like, it, and it was just a fucking mess. And I was just kind of thinking I was getting my shit together when, uh, when uh, Rasp laid me off and then my dad died, you know? There's yeah. a reason the video I made was called Rock Bottom. I'm like, because that was... I was in tough shape. And I, like... If you've been there, you'll know, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's like, I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to be alive. I completely understand as much as I can say I can, you know? <laughs> it's like, like, and you can imagine having conversations with people about anxiety and depression. And when they're, just, when they'll marginalize my opinion, oh, well, you don't get it. It's like, oh, I don't get it. Yeah. It's like, I, what a, like, what a. Think it's such a crazy thing that people throw around that's so just wrong. <laughs> you have no business telling anyone what they feel or don't. It's fucking yeah, crazy. And every everyone, my worst day feels like your worst day. Your rock bottom felt like my rock bottom. You know, there's there is some variance. Some shit's worse than other shit, but generally it works like that. And I know that my rock bottom, like I don't know, I now know where it came from. I now know what have a I don't know. I have a decent understanding of what my mistakes were. Mm-hmm. And I know it's certainly there was a lot more stacked against me than than what other people have. Hmm. So if the, it'll be much easier, like the less that's stacked against you, the easier it'll be for you to kind of put your ducks in a row to put yourself in a mental space where you can move towards being you know fulfilled. There was a lot more stacked against me, and I had to get this out. So it val it's fucked up. I had to validate my opinion because mm-hmm. like regardless of whether I ever struggled or not if the advice is effective it should be effective but i gotta throw myself under the bus and uh say that this is how it is and this is how i am to give perspective because if i whenever i were to if i were to talk to most people about my views on gender related things they would come at me like i'm ignorant because there's a narrative out there that i don't necessarily agree with and how many conversations I've had to bite my tongue and not and people saying dumbass shit and be like no well you it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to understand and I'm yeah. like yeah <laughs> oh is it you know it's ridiculous I don't want to go into that too much on this one but I, I had to put it out there mm-hmm. and that's uh going down my notes here you know wanted to die well I didn't want to be alive uh I think that's a that's an interesting thing too because the the not wanting to be alive but not wanting to die thing like it's just it seems like the easiest way out like not you don't want to like kill yourself or think about doing it because that's i i don't know it's just such a i don't agree with it i think it's the most selfish thing you can do and it's a cop out well i I understand feeling that way but like 
I, I think my that deep sense of purpose that I had from a kid is probably what kept me alive because mm. it was just like for a while in those days I was like oh my life is fucking meaningless and pointless and I'm never going to be happy like mm. literally I was only like being content was what I was aiming for because I didn't think happiness was possible so I was like well what I'm going to do is I want to dedicate you know my life to improving other people's lives and making other people happy because it's it's it, I thought it wasn't an option for me mm. so that's I was like all right so that's kind of like what kept me going and I was you know I was talking to Matt Smith about that on his podcast so like he's like oh you were always productive and you were doing this I was like every fucking thing I do is 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 me fighting for validation to feel like a halfway decent human being and I've managed to figure out a formula that kind of works for me and it's fucking ridiculous I have to you know ride 4,000 miles yeah. and, and make sure I get outside every single day and make sure I have my meditative space and make sure everything I do is productive. It's like, I don't necessarily want to work this many hours and do all this stuff. But I realized I have to adjust my lifestyle and my diet to fuel the activities I need to do that keep my brain stable so I can go back to the beginning of the circle. It's all plays together. Like, yeah. I found the formula that works for me. It's not super convenient. I don't know what's going to happen when I get older. If it stays the way it is now, I, I, eventually I'll get to the point where I won't have the physicality to do what I need to do, but maybe I'll be more fulfilled when I'm older. I think maybe I'll the, just kill myself at some point. No, I'm kidding. The meditative, I think the meditative state that you put yourself in every day will get you to the yeah. point of finding what you need yeah. that will you know, supplement some of that physicality that you'll lose in your age. Well, it's getting better like and better all the yeah, time. It's you know? like it's progress keeping you know keeping my work scheduled and getting my thoughts out and everything like this podcast is going to help me a lot with that helping other people helps me uh some other key things i'd written down here just just to do it like when my i didn't really talk about my dad a whole lot except for that he was awesome and he was always awesome but uh i basically lived in the fear of you know that phone call Mm. because both my brothers were you know engaged in, in serious drug use my mom was terribly unhealthy you know she had like three feet of her intestines removed. She's Hashimoto. She's colitis. She has, uh, um, she's got like, she's her, she destroyed her body with, with, with substances, mm-hmm. like completely obliterated it. So it's like, I was always living in the fear, like you get a phone call and a not normal hour. And you're like, when I got the phone, I was on Culver right over here, just under the thing. And I was like, why is there a Cape Coral number calling me? And I was like, my dad's dead. Yeah, and it was my uncle, and, he, and he's like, he talks really fast, and he's like, your dad said, and I was like, uh, what? And he's like, I got up, uh, she's sitting in the chair, uh, the TV's still on, your dad said, and I was like, oh, okay, um, all right, yeah. So I uh, called Gary, and he didn't answer, and then I drove to work. <laughs> I was working in the machine shop that time, and uh. I. I basically cried through the whole shift, but did everything I needed to do, and then I left. I, I, it was, I was working through Jeff's company. Yeah. So I told, I texted Jeff, and I told him what happened. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I need to do. And he's like, Why are you there? And I was like, Well, I had to be at work. It's a machine shop. Yeah. If I don't check the orders, if I don't, do, I was doing third party quality control. If I don't inspect them, they don't ship. Yeah. Like, so I went there, and I. I did the first half of my day so their orders could ship, and then I left. I only had one day left in the contract. I think Jeff might have actually went and finished up the oh, thing wow. for me. Yeah, I had a similar thing. I, anytime I get a, I've, I've had a lot of loss that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But anytime I get a phone call at work, like 
people know my schedule at this point anyone in my life you don't text me after five and expect me to do anything i'm, I'm at start work calling you at work all the time it's so scary anytime I, <laughs> anytime <laughs> i get a be rude. <laughs> anytime i get a phone call i'm like oh fuck someone died <laughs> and i got that phone call when my stepdad died and you know i i went i went home i said hi to my mom we cried a bunch i said hi to my family and i'm like all right well i'm gonna go back to work it's all you really can do yeah and and everyone at work was like what are you doing here i'm like well my station's not closed i got prep for tomorrow like i, I want to what are you gonna do sit home and cry yeah like cool everyone's fine at home they're they're a mess but i'm just gonna go like it's one thing you have control over yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's a meditative space too you're just like all right i'm gonna do this thing and then i'm gonna leave it's crazy so crazy yeah so when my dad died it was just like he was the person I didn't live in fear of that phone call, you know? And then, then that happened. I was like, oh, fuck. You yeah. Know, I was just starting to feel pretty good. And then that fucking happened, and that kind of sucked, and the skate park started to open. I, tur- I was pretty bummed when I turned 30, but I think I might have been listening to too much Julian Baker. But that, I don't know if I was sad because of that or if I listened to that much because I was sad, you know? But, mm-hmm. like... And obviously, this building the skate park was like you know I did like a hundred something hours a week for like four months straight. So that's gonna really kind of fuck up your whole system. I had zero free time, zero meditative space, zero riding. It was like I don't know, my cortisol was probably through the fucking roof. So mm-hmm. I was probably dealing with the fallout of that for for several months after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez, goddamn, man, Car- Gary got into a terrible car accident, and almost died right after my dad died. Like the day we got back to Jersey, like some random guy, he, some random guy like pulled him out of the car. Like Gary, like went back to Jersey, got fucked up, nodded out, drove right into a car dealership, hit a uh, Corvette and Chevy Silverado dually, like the two nicest cars in the lot right out front. Like fucking, he sent the nine, dude. And uh, somebody driving by like pulled him out of the car. Who would have died? Like, yeah, you I don't know what my life would be like if you know. Right after my dad died, Gary died. Well, then Nick and Nick's Nick's, Nick's dead now too. Like it's just insane. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to believe that that's all true. And what's even more hard to believe is that Gary's personal struggles with his drug addiction and everything are are way worse than my struggles. Yeah, it's like that's why I say Gary's a tough motherfucker, and I wouldn't fuck with him because he's dealt dealt with dealt, dealt with more than. Uh, than most people yeah for, sure. for real and what's so interesting about the people that i've been to the most is if it seems like they're the nicest they're the most reasonable people <laughs> you know dude, it's like that uh, expression like the like the smarter you get the dumber you realize you are yeah it's like the more you lose the more you realize what you have yeah and like i just i've lost or almost lost like everything you know i my and I'm so thankful I never killed myself. You know, I used to fantasize about it all the time. I like I replay my rock bottom moments over and over and over. I I wish I wrote down the date. Like there was two back to back nights and like it's bad. Yeah. I was so fucking depressed. Pretty sure I like just literally just passed out on my living room floor crying, and I I left my front door open for two days, like in my like delusional depressed thing. I was like. Someone needs to save me, so I'm gonna leave my door open. Like, yeah. In hindsight, I'm like, that sounds insane, but like, it makes sense when you're in that space. I was so 
desperate for someone to help me and pretty much unwilling to ask anyone for help that like that seemed like the, like who the fuck someone's gonna walk down my driveway oh the door's open oh dave yeah. how, how, dude you good dude i brought you this rope <laughs> you should hang yourself no, i'm kidding thanks bud it's just what i was waiting for <laughs> i like that you know I'm very fortunate that I didn't. I never really attempted to kill myself. I just thought about it a lot. I, I, my brother can't say that. It's like it's fucked up. Yeah. I'm like I like and uh, <sighs> oh my god, John just texted me about the Alex Jones podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, by falling in love with bikes again and learning about psychology was really big and getting into my nutrition. I really like figured it out. Like I think in hindsight, a lot of the issues were subscribing to other people's narrative of what healthy should be both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. I think poor diet. I think I know for sure that the refined carbohydrates and sugar has a role on my psyche. And I've been playing with that with my diet and I absolutely fall into depression if I eat too much carbs and sugar. Really? The weekend of the contest at the skate park, I ate a bunch of donuts because Clark brings in donuts. Shout out, Clark. I brought in donuts too. Yeah. <laughs> I ate, all I ate was donuts and pizza for like two and a half days straight. Yeah. And then by Wednesday, I was like really questioning why I felt so shitty. Huh. Like I, too much sugar and carbs and I felt fucking worthless and hollow and like unfulfilled even though I was having good days productive days going out and riding like there's no reason for that and yeah. i was like i've implemented so many lifestyle and diet changes that when when i start to feel different i'm like well i know every variable in my formula because i've formulated my formula through some sort of formulation formula one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh so i was like well why do i feel this way right now you know the beauty in the in this philosophy is that when you're creating your own ideology once you get there after a year two years three years and you you start to feel good and decent and then something doesn't feel good you're like what's the trigger mm -hmm. like i eat intentionally well i didn't eat intentionally well what would you eat this huh interesting and i've been playing around with that idea because when i when my carb carb intake goes too high too much pizza mm -hmm. over the course of like a week or two I feel a little, a little bummed. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I, it's really, I think, I honestly think it, my, my struggles were obviously the, the, the psychological network, the horrible psychological structure I built up around my mental stability and that re one relationship, uh, the, the internal struggles for identity and then the poor diet mm -hmm. really. Cause I always had an outlet of riding. Yeah. always had it. I just didn't use it that in a meditative manner, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you were, but you weren't as cognizant of the, the yeah. how meditative it was. It was just like a thing you did that made you exactly. feel better and good, which is meditative. But Yeah, I rode for clips, did. though. Yeah, it's different. I didn't I ride for myself. Yeah. I rode for other people. Like, I some people, I talk to people, I'm like, I don't give a fuck if I film a clip anymore. Like, I love the battle of learning a new trick when I'm riding. Yeah. And whether it's on an iPhone, a real camera... It's in a DVD, it's on Instagram, it sits on my phone, I never post it, or I don't film it. It's the same exact battle, and I feel just as rewarded. Mm -hmm. People people are doing things in their lives where they could be 
that could be fulfilling, and then they're tr- they're it's not because they're looking at a different metric. Mm-hmm. They're just they're trying to get it from other people through likes and comments rather than looking internally for mm-hmm. for validation. Yeah, I the, mean, like we've talked about, I've never been like someone that rides for clips, but I like to document what I'm doing just because yeah. that's it's fun. But like in the last couple of months, as I've gotten much more, uh, much gotten back into bike riding much more uh, regularly, like I filmed the least. I've been doing the best stuff I've been doing in years, and I'm like, eh, it just makes me feel good. It doesn't even matter. Like mm. it's it's a yeah, it's doing it for me rather than the internet. For real, like it's good to document because yeah. you can go back. And I you know I've had ten video sections. You know, yeah. I've always worked on DVDs. I've done two full lengths. Of, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, I look at the to... edits I make, and I'm like, I used to, I used to do that. I used to do that over the box, and that's going to be so valuable when you're older. Yeah, when you're really old, like that's benchmarking. It's going to be reflective, and it's going to be super important. But you can do that, and not have, and and not like shoot yourself in the foot by looking for validation through an external mm-hmm. source. Yeah. Only you can validate yourself. Once you're self-validated, well, then in other people's, it's nice. It's like icing on the cake. But yeah. It's you, like, I'm you, already stoked on it. You being stoked on it's just that much better, you know? Hey, you don't want to just sit there eating a tub of icing. That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. You got to bake your own cake. It's a good one. I like that. Yeah, a little pastry joke, dude. Oh, man. Well, this is going to be a really long one. I'm probably actually going to put this on YouTube and create a YouTube channel. I go down my notes here. Mm, yeah, that's pretty much everything. That was a lot. That was a yeah, beautiful I, synopsis of your story. Yeah, I tried to make it short. It's still like a fucking hour, you know? Yeah, that's a lot, man. Yeah, I'm saying like, argue, I've been arguing with people for years about shit and like, yeah, well, you know, you don't know what other people's struggles are like. I don't. But I know what my struggles was like. And yeah. I know it was real. Yeah. It was the realest fucking thing. It was actually the only thing. <laughs> that emptiness, that just like endless like abyss the void inside yourself it's like it's just just, when you're depressed there's you can't feel it because you're you're looking at this massive void and you're only thinking of of a massive thing to film it which is never going to happen because when you're depressed you just don't have the energy you spend so much of your energy just trying to function you're never going to fill a massive void with a massive thing but you know but every you know every little incremental thing you can fill your own grave one shovel full at a time a morbid example yeah but it's what it is you know little bit by little bit you you fill that in that's actually a really good example rather than like the really big thing being putting yourself in a grave you're just filling it back in yeah with a shovel full of progress every time that's why it's progression-based health realistic goals at realistic timelines that give you you know you're depressed you're fucking you're all your brain's all out of whack Mm -hmm. the only way to fix that you have to work out your serotonin systems like you're working it out and you can't just go to the gym, pick up the heaviest barbell, and expect it to work. You start with the littlest one. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're like, oh, well, this is really light. I can move to the next one. Out. Yeah. You got to, it's just like, what do you call it? The zone of uh, proximal development or whatever you call it. Like the zone or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it has to be hard enough that it's moving you forward. And, and hard enough that, like, you can question whether you're going to accomplish it. Yep. If you went to the gym per year and always lifted the same exact barbell, the same kettlebell or whatever, or, or tire, whatever it's, it is. It's uh, heavy enough to be valuable. 
Yeah, it's, it's going to get easier and easier, but you're, it's going to be less and less fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You have to be present to be fulfilled. Yep. You got to understand what, what you're doing, other than, otherwise, why are you doing it? It's an uphill battle. Yep. And that's why it's Rent's Life is lifestyle, because you're not, it's not just like going to the gym for 30 hours a day isn't necessarily a lifestyle change. It's just a thing you added to your life. A lifestyle change is, you know, like things like intentionally parking farther so you can walk yeah. or just not driving, walking, riding yeah. your bike somewhere instead. Like it's implementing these things that improve your life little by little every day in a slow progress- progression towards having a lifestyle that approximates something that will build you mental fulfillment mm-hmm. and well, and physical capabilities. Like, like I don't do what I do to be in shape. Like it's a nice benefit. Like people look at it and they're like, wow, look, he's in shape. And I'm like, cool, I'll take your social credit, but it's not what I'm after. Yeah. It's like I like being in shape is a really nice side effect for what I have to do to have mental stability. Yeah. Yeah. More icing on the cake. It's not. That's not the reason. It's just a side. You know. And I. I, I, I I'm rambling on here. I'm, I'm gonna. I want to do one last point because this is a really big one. Because most people will. Um, hold on. I need to dry. A lot of people will look for fulfillment within relationships. I didn't necessarily do that. I'm really honest. Always, I was always outwardly honest. Inwardly honest is something I had to work on. But because I'm honest, and because the way, like, you know, when I say how I feel, like how like this the gender related stuff, it was impossible for me to actually honestly try to find a relationship. Because if I had not been upfront about who I am, I'm just lying. And every second I would be with that person, it's like, it's just a lie. Mm-hmm. All this is a lie. And then the likelihood, the likelihood of someone being okay with it is decent. The likelihood of them being like into it is pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes one of the main outlets that people find for fulfillment pretty much is off the table because of how I am and how I am in terms of honesty. And it, I had to go through all these years of figuring this shit out to be mentally stable enough to be like, I'm going to take finding, you know, love in an honest manner that's honest to myself and honest to the other person, which obviously is a massive hurdle. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough that, like, it's kind of worked out. You know, in the past, when I was younger, I had interacted interactions with, with other women, uh, just women. Other in relation to the one girlfriend I talked mm-hmm. about. I never had really any other girlfriends, though, until I moved here. And you, t- I would tell them, you know, not, like, the truth, because I actually didn't had no idea what the truth actually was. I was like, I just feel kind of this way or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, it's fine. It's all great and everything. And then later on, it's like, they just told people and said other things about me. And it's like, because they were interested in me. They didn't really give a shit about me. It's just like, just dumb kids being like... They didn't really understand it. They didn't care to understand it. They were just like, no, no, it's fine. Because, like, they were into me probably based on looks or something. And they wanted that fulfillment. And after that, you know, the bubble popped, they didn't give a shit about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just kids being kids, you know. So that's a, a huge hurdle. I'm lucky I'm just a solitary person to begin with. I love being alone. I love, it's great. <laughs> you know. So I managed to go, you know, years and years and years without any of that. I'm fortunate now. It's, it's, it seems to be working okay. So, Sure seems like it. 
well, I'm too busy to really have like a no, typical relationship. We see each other like three times a week. Yeah. All, all those moments are, are just uh, really uh, precious, beautiful moments, you know? Exactly. To, uh, it's it's just like anything else. You oversaturate it, it doesn't have that that same feeling, you know? Yeah. Like, in, in, you, you take it for granted, you know? Yeah, I had to be honest with myself, to be honest with other people, to really get to where I am now, and I'm. I hope I can do that for other people. Right? Ugh. That seems I like a good spot. What? Seems like a good spot to call it. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2 o'clock, so I'm at like 16 hours of fasting, so yeah. I'm going to make uh, some food. Sweet. I'm going to... Smack the lip. I don't know why I'll end with that, so... Well, thanks for coming over and joining this moment. Yeah. And uh glad I could be here, man. It's great. Yeah. Sweet. If you if you listen to this, if you're one of the six people that listen to it, feel free to tell a friend. I'm trying to make the world a little bit better, one one little step of progress at a time, one little person at a time. So Sweet. thanks for listening. <laughs>